Chapter Thirty Two of Tracked by a Tattoo. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Tracked by a Tattoo by Fergus Hume. Chapter Thirty Two. Mrs. Boazoff tells the truth. Immediately after this great discovery, Fanks received a letter from Garth informing him that Mrs. Jerusalem was in London, located at the Red Star. Mrs. Boazoff, said the writer, is much better, and is now permitted to leave her bed. Rather, I fancy, to the disappointment of Turner. Should you want to get any information out of Mrs. Boazoff, now is the time to do so. The result of this communication was that Fanks resolved to go at once to town and interview the landlady. "'You see that I want to get something out of Mrs. Boazoff,' he said to Lewis. "'I want her to tell me who killed Sir Gregory.' "'Do you think she knows that?' "'I think she has known it all along,' retorted Fanks. "'You can take it from me, Fellinger. She recognized the negro when he entered the hotel on that night. For some reason, which I mean to discover, she has held her tongue. I intend to force her to reveal the name by threatening to arrest Hersham, in the event of her refusing to speak. Will she tell in order to save Hersham? I think so, and for more reasons than one. You see, she fainted when I told her that I could prove the crime against that young man. It may be that she knows how hardly he has been dealt with by Madeline Gary and therefore she may be anxious to save him further trouble. "'But how could she learn the story of Madeline Gary and the changing of the children?' objected Fellinger. "'From Anne Comer, who must have learned it from Dr. Binjoy. I believe he is at the bottom of the whole affair. I do not say that he killed Gregory, but he can tell us who did.' "'How can you prove that?' Well. The person who killed Gregory must have known that story of the changing of the children, so as to induce him to let the cross be tattooed on his arm. Dr. Binjoy must have told that person. Dr. Binjoy must have supplied that needle. Dr. Binjoy, my friend, is at the bottom of the whole devilish affair. You forget Madeline Gary. She might have told the murderer about the changing of the children. I don't think so. Madeline would not have been likely to reveal anything detrimental to her son, and on the face of it she could not have obtained access to the poison needle. No, I suspect Binjoy as an accessory before the fact. I shall see Mrs. Jerusalem and force her to tell me where to find Madeline Gary, though to be sure I have a pretty good notion of where to find her as it is. What? Do you know who Madeline Gary is? I think so. A speech of Mrs. Prism's put me on her track, but I may be wrong, so I shall say nothing as yet. You are clever in guessing things, Mr. Fanks. Perhaps you can tell me who killed Gregory? Well, said Fanks, looking straight at his questioner, I might even go as far as that. I do not know for certain who is the assassin, but I have a shrewd notion. I shall have my doubts set at rest on that point when I see these women in town. I shall interview Mrs. Boazoff, take down her confession, and make her sign it. I shall act in the same way with Binjoy, with Ann Comer, 
with Robert, the valet of the dead man, and with Turner, the accomplice of your medical friend. Do you think they are all in it? I am more than certain they are, said Fanks in a confident tone. Well, Mr. Fellinger, will you come up with me and see the last act of the comedy? No, I shall stay here with Mr. Crate, and keep an eye on Dr. Binjoy. But you must write me all that befalls you at the Red Star. Do you really think that you will find the truth in that house? I am certain of it. Believe me, the tragedy will end as it began, in the Red Star in Tully's Alley. I hope all will go as I wish," added Fanks in a gloomy air. I have had no end of trouble with this case, and although I think I see daylight at last, I must not be too confident. The whole proving of my theory lies with Mrs. Boazoff. Having thus settled his plans, Fanks left Crate at Mere Hall to look after Dr. Binjoy and repaired to town. Immediately on his arrival, which took place about noon, he sent for Garth and questioned him concerning Mrs. Jerusalem. Having received satisfactory replies, he entrusted a special commission to the lawyer, and, with a detective, he went himself to the Red Star. That short conversation with Fanks so astonished Garth that he went on his errand, which had to do with such conversation, in a state of great surprise and no little nervousness. At the Red Star Fanks inquired for Mrs. Jerusalem and was confronted by Dr. Turner. The ferret looked rather disconcerted as the detective appeared, and tried to dissuade him from seeing Mrs. Boazoff as he wished to do. "'She is yet weak,' he urged and I do not think it will be wise of you to talk with her as yet." "'I don't care how weak she is,' said Fanks grimly. "'I intend to talk to her, and to you too.' "'What can you have to say to me?' demanded Turner, with an attempt at bravado. "'I'll tell you that after I have seen Mrs. Boazoff and Mrs. Jerusalem,' was the reply. "'I know all your doings on the night of the twenty-first, Dr. Turner and I am aware of your attempt to blackmail Sir Louis Fellinger." After which speech Fanks went upstairs to the room occupied by Mrs. Boazoff. At the door he met with Mrs. Jerusalem. She looked at him in an expressionless way, and spoke in her usual cold and unemotional manner. Her first question was of Fanks' visit to Mere Hall. "'Did you find out the truth, sir?' she asked. "'I found out the truth but not the particular truth you wished for," replied Fanks, who disliked this woman immensely. "'Your master is not guilty.' "'Then who is guilty if he is not?' "'I'll reveal that in a few moments, Mrs. Jerusalem. I may tell you that I know all about Madeline Gary and the Tattooed Cross, also about Mr. Louis Fellinger.' The woman drew back, and for the first time since Fanks had known her, an expression of surprise flitted across her face. "'He said, Mr. Lewis,' she said to herself. "'How much does he know?' "'He knows most of the circumstances which led to the murder in this house,' retorted Fanks, moving towards the door. "'And now, with your assistance, he is about to learn the rest.' "'At all events, the truth will be bad for Lewis Fellinger,' muttered Mrs. Jerusalem. If it was to benefit him, I would not move a step. As it is," she added, throwing open the door, "'Come in, Mr. Fanks, 
and ask Mrs. Boazoff to tell you the story she related to me this morning." Fanks nodded, and without saying a word entered the apartment. In spite of the warm weather there was a fire burning in the grate, and beside it crouched Mrs. Boazoff. She was seated on the carpet warming her thin hands at the blaze, and she turned her face as the detective entered. He was astonished at the change wrought in her by illness. Her face was lined and drawn with pain, her hair was falling about her ears in rough masses, and the looseness of her dress showed how emaciated she had become. The poor creature was but a shadow of the notorious woman who had defied the police for so long, and at the first glance Fanks saw that death was written on her haggard face. If there was anything to be learned from this wreck there was no time to be lost in hearing it. Nemesis had claimed at least one victim for the death of Sir Gregory Fellinger, or rather, Edward Fielding. "'Have you come here to see me die, Mr. Fanks?' asked Mrs. Boazoff, with a faint smile. "'I hope it is not so bad as that,' replied Fanks gently, for he pitied the exhaustion of the poor creature. "'You may get better.' Mrs. Boazoff shook her head. "'I think not.' she said quietly. The end is coming fast. I do not care. My life has been none so happy that I should wish to live. I am anxious to die." "'Are you anxious to make reparation for your crimes?' With a start Mrs. Bozov looked at the other woman who still stood at the door. "'What have you told him?' she asked in a hoarse voice. "'I have told him nothing.' replied Mrs. Jerusalem coldly, but he knows all. "'That is impossible,' muttered Mrs. Boazoff with a shiver. "'He cannot know all. Who is there to tell him?' "'I was told by the dead.' "'The dead? What dead?' "'By your dead lover, on whose son you avenged your betrayal, Mrs. Bryant.' She shivered and looked up angrily. "'Not that name!' I am not Mrs. Bryant." "'I can give you another name if you like,' said Fanks pointedly. "'Shall I say Mrs. Fielding, or Madeline Gary?' The woman rose to her knees with an effort, and parting the tangled mass of her gray hair she looked at Fanks in a terrified manner. "'Madeline Gary is dead,' she said in a low voice. "'She died when she married Luke Fielding. Neglect and dishonor killed her." "'Madeline Gary did not die, then,' said Fanks determinedly. She lived to avenge herself on her lover by exchanging his child for that of her own." "'They were both his children,' cried Mrs. Boazoff, with sudden fury. "'I see you know all, so I can speak as I choose. I loved Francis Fellinger, and he betrayed me. I should have been his wife but, like the coward he was, he married another woman. I became the wife of Luke Fielding, of the man I hated, in order to conceal the truth from my father. The child I bore was not his. It should have borne the title of the Fellingers." "'And it did bear the title of the Fellingers,' said Fanks in an impressive voice. It took the place of the real heir, thanks to your schemes. And you, Madeline Gary, deserted the infant of your rival, after you had robbed him of his birthright. Wretched woman! 
Make reparation while you can. Give back his name to Edward Hersham, before it is too late. Or," added Fanks, drawing nearer, "'keep silence to the end, and let him suffer on the gallows for the murder of your son.' "'No! No!' shrieked Mrs. Boazoff, clutching at her chair to raise herself. "'Not that! Anything but that! He is innocent! I tell you that he is innocent!' "'If he is innocent, who then is guilty?' asked Fanks. Mrs. Boazoff reeled and would have fallen but for the arm of Mrs. Jerusalem, who sprang forward to catch her. A draught of brandy brought back her strength, and she sat in the chair by the fire, rocking herself to and fro, with heart-rending sobs. Fanks approached to speak to her, but she waved him off. "'Do not touch her yet,' said Mrs. Jerusalem, in a low tone. "'She will recover soon.' Quiet as was the whisper, Mrs. Boazov heard it and moaned. Never, never on this side of the grave, she wept. My race is run, and weary have been my days. I never had a chance like other women. Once I was Madeline Gary, the darling of her father, the prettiest girl in Damington. But Francis Fellinger made me what I am. I curse him, living or dead, I curse him. She broke into hysterical laughter. I revenged myself well. I put my child and his in the place of the heir. It was my son who reigned at Mere Hall. It was my son who spent the monies of that evil family and bore their title. I am glad of it. I am glad of it. The real heir, her child, had to work for his bread. But mine reigned in his place. He took the seat of his father. Of what use was it that Francis marked his son as he marked me? See? she cried, pulling up the sleeve of her dress. Do you see this cross on my skin, you bloodhound of the law? Francis Fellinger marked me like that, to show that I was his wife. Yet he married another. Francis marked his legitimate son like that. Yet the son ate the bread of strangers, and another sat in his seat. I have done my work. I have had my revenge. I am willing to die." Are you willing that the son whom you disinherited should die at the hands of justice?" Mrs. Boazoff moaned and hid her face in her hands. "'Ah, no,' she said in a plaintive voice. "'He has suffered enough. My son is dead, so let the other take back his name and estates. My son is dead. He perished in the house of his mother, the mother who was too cowardly to avenge him who was afraid to reveal the name of the assassin. My son is dead, but not by the hand of his half-brother did he meet with his death." "'Then who killed him? Tell me!' cried Fanks eagerly. "'You have sinned. Make what reparation you can for your sins while there is yet time. Look up, Madeline Gary, and tell me if that man slew your son.' While Fanks had been speaking, the door had opened softly, and Garth, in the company of another man, appeared on the threshold. The two stood spellbound when they heard this speech of the detective, and Mrs. Boazoff turned her face slowly towards them. Suddenly she crushed down her weakness and arose to her feet with miraculous strength. 
Stretching out her hand at the man who stood terror-stricken awaiting her words, she cried out in a shrill and triumphant voice, "'Yonder is the man who killed my son! Yonder is the man who must suffer in the place of Edward Hersham! You wish to know who came here as a negro and killed my son? There he stands! Herbert Vaud!' "'I thought so,' murmured Fanks, and the next instant he had the handcuffs on Vaud's wrists. End of chapter 32